If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock Bromley. Today, we're back with a really special friend named Vanessa Perkins. She is a survivor and she has just had this story. I I heard her speak many years ago, sharing her story in a a public setting with lots of important people in the audience. And I was just really stunned and amazed at her courage and all that she has gone through to be able to stand before so many people and just speak the truth. And I'm just so glad to have you on today. Mary and I have worked with you um, in some different occasions, but it's really fun to have you on today and just to, to talk and just to have a fun time sharing our stories. Thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, you're welcome. It is really, really cool to be here. It's definitely a place I never planned on being. Um, this, is, this is amazing. Aww. Well, awesome. Well, Vanessa, would you mind just kind of opening and sharing your story as much or as little as you'd like to start out with? Sure. Um, so I always like to talk about how does somebody actually end up in human trafficking? Mm. It's like seemingly, it, it kind of seems like people are out there because they want to be out there. But there's a whole story that's before human trafficking makes sense to anybody. Um, like what creates this person inside of me that makes being trafficked okay? You know, like how do I get right. pulled into that? And so most of us have very similar stories. Not everything is exactly the same. Um, but most of us have, have similar stories. So mm. when I was a little girl, I was sexually assaulted uh, from about four years old till I was around 12 years old. And so he moved out of the house. That's why it stopped. Okay. Uh, and that, that created this image of what my role is in this world of men, of self-value, of sure. secrecy, uh, all this stuff that I, I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know it's creating this, uh, this plan for me uh, in my brain, you know, it's kind of hard to articulate, but hopefully you're kind of understanding what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And just let me know if you want me to stop or if you have questions during at any time, because oh, yeah. I could go we'll, on. We'll stop you, but I would love for you just to kind of go ahead and share like an overview kind of of, of where you've yeah. been. And, and I love how you've already started out. So yeah, keep going. So when I was about 12, or 13, that man moved out of the house. And that man I thought was my father for all those years. I found out when he moved out that he was not my father. Uh, he is my brother's dad, but he's not my dad. Uh, so once he moved out, mm-hmm. I, that was that was told to me. And that I don't know that that wow. would have changed anything, um, really. I just know that this person that was supposed to care for me and protect me was the one harming me and telling me not to tell anybody mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really confusing it's like I knew it wasn't okay yeah uh, but the feelings were just like this is terrible and I knew I shouldn't talk about it and it was just a real yucky yucky place to yeah. Yeah. and you probably didn't feel like you had anyone to really talk to about it right yeah that's a that's a hundred percent true in my family we literally what I grew up with is don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. We don't share what happens in this house. We don't definitely don't talk to any kind of authorities. Don't tell the neighbors what's going on. Don't yeah. talk to teachers. Yeah. That was embedded very deeply 
uh, very early on. I actually took quite a few beatings in my life because mm. I could not call the cops. Mm. I literally have picked up the phone, started to call, and that core belief kicked in and took over, and I wouldn't make the call. Wow, Isn't yeah. Isn't that just like fascinating and, and horrible at the same time? Like, how could that have such control? But it was so embedded, like like a handshake is to most people. Like you go up high, find Vanessa, you shake hands. Yeah. It was that embedded. And it's to just, not to it's not talk about it. That's right. Right. Yes. And don't call the cops and don't tell anybody. Yeah. yeah. So that went when on I until was, you were until he left the house. That's right. Okay. And it was about twelve or thirteen. Okay. Age wise is a little foggy sure. for me, but there, it's around sure. twelve or thirteen. Yeah. yeah. And and the damage was already done. You know, like right. I was already messed up, and I didn't really know that. Um, so I actually found relief in King Cobra, um, which is alcohol. Um, yeah. But when I when I first took, I thought a it was a video game. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, is that real? Just kidding. Really? She she grew up a lot different oh, than we God. did, Vanessa. Let's just say that, my friend. So uh, yeah, little goody two shoes. <laughs> Sometimes I do think like everybody knows, but some people really don't know. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. Um, and I often share in, in front of a room of alcoholics, and they all know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yes. so, um, so I took a few drinks uh, of King Cobra, and it's really interesting because I remember all the details of that night. Um, and I think it's because it gave me that relief that I didn't even know I needed. Mm. It was like that breath of fresh air that like, Oh, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I can fit in this world. I'm, this is what makes me better. So it was a solution for a problem that I didn't even know I had, Mm. you know? And so, well, I continued to do that because it worked. It was my relief. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and it got worse. Like it didn't, I didn't just, stay at a couple of drinks of King Cobra, it went on. And I'm, I'm like a classic uh, drug addict, alcoholic. Like I started with smoking weed and drinking a few beers to taking pills to snorting whatever, um, to putting a needle in my arm, to smoking crack, like everything. It just continues to get worse, yeah. never better. Yeah. And, um, and it gets really dark really fast. And I'd always believed that, um, that God was there. I just believed he hated me. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of a mutual feeling toward him at that point because I thought he abandoned me is how I felt. Yeah. Um, I know now that that's not real, but at that time it was so dark that I didn't even want to wake up anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would put too much dope in the needle cause I didn't want to breathe. And then I'd wake up again and I would be like, really God, mm-hmm. we're doing this again. Are you kidding me? And I would go again and I would hate every second of it. I hated me. I hated you. I hated everything. Yeah. And I just didn't, yeah. didn't want to be on this earth anymore. <laughs> He didn't, he had a different plan for me. Mm. And today I'm grateful for that. I just didn't know that was coming. Yeah. So that started in your teenage years and went on until what happened next? It continued to get worse. I graduated high school and it was not because I'm a good student. It's because I cheated and I lied and I couldn't put the drugs and the alcohol aside to be able to actually study and do my all in school. I really genuinely wanted to be something different than what my family was um, because they would struggle every month. We would just like at the end of the month, we'd fend for food at the, like I, my grandma, which was my boyfriend's grandma really was the one to buy my prom dress and never got seeing a picture. So we were struggling and I didn't want that. 
So I did want to become something, you know. And so this lady came into high school and she said that you could be a dental hygienist and it's a little bit of school and a lot of money. And that's all I heard. And I was like, okay. (laughs) You're like, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did go down to Shawnee State University, but this, uh, this, this addiction had already like had its grips on me and I couldn't choose anything over it. So I get down to Shawnee State and I'm going to class, but I have to have a few drinks before I can even get there because I can't see straight without it at this Mm. point. And so, um, I, I actually did fairly well, according to paperwork. I have very little recollection of it, unfortunately. Mm. But um, so I was down there for a year, and uh, the boyfriend that I went down with, he was my high school sweetheart. We went down there, and he came up to me one day, and he said, I think you might be drinking too much. And I was like, what? You got to go. And I broke up with him. Yeah, yeah. bye-bye. <laughs> What I said out loud. You don't need that kind of judgment in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But inside it was like, I knew that he was creeping on to what was making my life. Okay. He was creeping on what my solution. And I was like, Nope, I cannot have anybody in the way of my solution. Mm. And, um, so I broke up with him. And as a result, I couldn't afford the housing down there on my own. And I had to drop out of college and I went back to Nelsonville, um, and started working at Taco Bell. And uh, that didn't go well because my disease of alcoholism and drug addiction continued to progress. Mm. And um, fast food and trying to maintain a drug addiction is not going to happen. And so I was doing really shady things. I was stealing. I was manipulating. I was doing really shady things. Mm -hmm. And and I got fired. (laughs) I did not. And and then I I ended up in this relationship that became the beginning of, like, the most extreme abuse that I had ever gone through and the the hard part about it was was more so because I really love this guy and I really believed that we were going to get through this together we were going to like right off into the sunset and when he would hit me it would just like destroy my soul kind of thing like when somebody random hits you it's just like oh that's not cool whatever um move on but like when someone that you love so deeply as as deeply as you possibly can it's a different kind of like crushing and so i i went from having a voice and fighting back in the beginning to before the end of it i had no voice Mm. i was saying nothing i didn't stick up for anything um literally there were times that i was just sitting on the couch and he'd be mad about something i did the day before and he punched me right in the face i'm like what and um just stuff that just reminds me of how worthless i am and i as crazy as it sounds, I believed it was my fault that I shouldn't have done those things the night before. And if you think about it, like I grew up in a house of domestic violence and, and drinking and partying and chaos. And so this actually makes sense. If you think about it, if you look at the timeline, I just left one place and went to the other Mm -hmm. and, and it just like, it just doesn't go away until there's some kind of real intervention. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have that at that time. Yeah. And so, um, well, and you didn't know up, anything different. It's what you'd no. always known. So yeah. kind of yeah. made sense for you just to keep living yeah. that life. And the few times that I tried to leave, well, I, I did leave. I'd have my family come and get my stuff and we would leave. And then I'd go back. It's I'm, I'm typical, uh, domestic violence. I hate to say the word victim, but at the time, a domestic violence victim who yeah. goes back the six or eight times before actually leaving. Sure. Um, that makes sense to me. And there's that trauma bond that is, is really fascinating in a really mm-hmm. crazy way. Mm-hmm. Of like, I'm really bonded to this person. It's like the people on the Titanic. They go down on the Titanic. The people that survive, they have a bond that we can't touch. None mm-hmm. of us have any clue what that's really about. So they're really bonded. They got through that together. Mm-hmm. So that's like 
us. Like we got through this crazy night, chaos, fighting and drama. And the next morning we're like hugging and it's okay. And so mm-hmm. that bond is created and it's, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I really um, learned something not too long ago uh, that really fascinates me is that we have a chemical that's released when we go through pain and it's, it's the chemical that's released when we have a kid. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason like we don't kill our kids when we have them because of all the pain that they just put us through. But instead we're in love, we're bonded. It's that kind of chemical that's released with our abusers. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. Like it's, it's fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Um, so that's what was happening with, with that relationship. And, and I just became less and less of a human and more of like a nobody and a nothing and, yeah, and worthless. And super and dependent is, on this person who is so wrong and so evil, but you're dependent yeah. on that person yeah. in every possible way. Yep. That's definitely real. And he would say things like, no one else is ever going to want you. And I believe him. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it's almost just so confusing as when I look back and I think, how in the world mm-hmm. did you like believe that stuff? And my mind and body want to say, oh, you're so stupid. But the reality is, is now I know I get to combat those, your stupid thoughts with that's a trauma bond. That's old messages. That's not real. And I get to not go back to that life because of the counseling and the work I've done up to this point to keep me reminded of what it actually is. Yeah. Um, you know, the truth is it really will set you free as, as much as I hate to say that that way. It's but a, like it's your an, courage though, to take those steps to get that help is just astounding, Vanessa. And I think for those who are listening, who have never been in those shoes, it is hard to understand, but you have to understand that if you were in that situation, I think 99% of the population would be the same way. You don't know how to get out. You feel trapped. You're so reliant on this person's words, but they literally are beating you to the ground yeah. till you are nobody anymore. Nobody without right. that person. So it's almost yeah. like it's like the drug addiction, but it's an addiction to this super um, toxic. Yes. Yeah abuser yeah. Yeah. who's beating you down with their words and with their fists. And then eventually what does that turn into then for you? Yeah. It's funny that they, they beat you down words and fists, but then they build you up and then they beat you down and then yeah, they build it's just you that up. Abuse like, cycle. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But you know, I think a lot of people have heard about that where then it becomes right. the honeymoon stage and everything is yeah. beautiful and perfect. And they're so apologetic right. and you buy it because you want them to be that person, but they don't stay that way because they're not getting the help they need. Yeah. Mm. So yesterday I was going through some stuff um, back from when I was in jail and there's letters in there, both from my trafficker and uh, from other people that was just writing me and letters that I was, going to send out or maybe I was I'm not sure if I was just writing them to kind of get some release and I was never going to send them I don't remember but those words that my trafficker which we'll talk about him soon um was like like he was apologizing for abusing me uh, apologizing for not being there for me and saying to me like how he's trying to make it okay for the things that he's done to me and these letters that I'm receiving in jail and it's because he wants to keep his claws in me you know like it's yeah. just it was just crazy um mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I leave Taco Bell. Well, I'm fired <laughs> from Taco Bell. Okay. <laughs> I leave unwillingly. Um, and I end up up here in Columbus and I come up here because dope is easier to find up here. I'd done 
plenty of bad things down there in Nelsonville to my family, to friends, to people that love me the most, things that I'm so far from being proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hurt, I hurt the people that love me the most that would let me back in. Like, I know she's not going to do that again. And then I would do that again mm-hmm. and hurt them, like break their hearts over and over again. And my mom got the brunt of it, you know, and she did very well with like keeping me at an appropriate a, a distance because uh, she ended up with custody of my son at one point, thank God that she had him. Um, but she would let me visit him on the porch. Like she wouldn't let me in the house, oh, <laughs> which is kind of awful. But that was all she could do, and well, that's yeah. her right. I mean, like, she had I to protect herself. Time. She had to protect yeah. your son, so she was setting the boundaries she needed to, but still loving you. Like, right? How? Wow. Like she was just like that. Like she, mm-hmm. she's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We had a rough upbringing, but like there was some. Like most of the time, mm-hmm. she just knew intuitively what she should do, mm-hmm. and that's one of them. And yeah. if she had, if she kept letting me in the house, maybe that wouldn't have. Maybe I would have never had any reason to get better. You know, like mm. I, I believe in the enabling thing. I believe that that's a real thing and that it really causes people problems. But I also understand why it's so hard not to do that. Sure. Like when you're looking your kid right in the eye and they're like, "I just need somewhere to sleep tonight," and you have to say no. Like that's hard. I know that's hard. Wow. Mom had to do it, and it's. I, it's hard. I definitely apologized <laughs> to her for that. Um, so I came up to Columbus and uh, I was pretty much lost up here. I, I'd been up here with my aunt at one point in time uh, for like a month or two, but I didn't know anything about Columbus. I never heard anything about human trafficking. I only knew prostitution by the things I saw in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much it. So I, I get up here to the bottoms and I am, and when I look back, it's so clear to me now. Like I was just like walking prey. They see me a hundred miles away. I was like, who is this girl? Completely out of place. She doesn't have anybody with her. We can tell she's dope sick. And so they come up to me. I had this guy come up to me and he was, he was really good looking. He had pearly white teeth. He was charismatic and, and, and nice. And he said, are you looking for anything? And I was like, yeah, I'm looking for dope, talking about heroin. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I got you. So I give him money. And now I know he's not going to come back with it because he don't know me and I don't know him. And why wouldn't he just take my money? Like, I'll never see him again. But he does come back with dope. And I was already sick that I was just beyond grateful that he just brought something back that just made my world okay. Mm. And what I didn't know is this was the first steps of him grooming me. And this really frustrates me today because it was like, like a life or death vulnerability is how it was for me at that moment. And he knew exactly what he was doing. So he dangled this life-saving thing in front of me and then just used that completely against me for his own financial gain. And I don't think it's just financial gain. I think it's more than that. I think it's control, it's power, things like that, that I didn't even see coming. Like I'm from Nelsonville that Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that down in Nelsonville. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I I haven't been a part of it. Mm -hmm. And so up here, he dangles it. I go for it. And then for the next few weeks, he like shows me the rope, so to speak. He tells me what dope houses not to go to and what people not to go around. And he was protecting me. That's how I perceived it. And I don't know what the absolute truth is outside of he was in the middle of grooming me. I don't know if the places would have been safe or good or not, but he just took me under his wing. And he fed me and he clothed me and he gave me a place to stay. And none of it was glamorous. All of it was, let's get this girl to give you some clothes. Let's stay over here. We can sleep on the floor over here. There might be bugs, but we'll deal with that as it comes, you know, but not glamorous. Yeah. And um, 
but he had my back. And what I didn't know is that he gave me and told me all the things that I didn't even know I needed. Mm. I love you. I have your back. We're going to get through this together. It's like they smell those vulnerabilities. They know exactly the words that will fill that hole inside of you. That's exactly right. And that's why I get so mad about it. And that's why I keep telling my story about it. It's frustrating. And right now, as we speak, it's happening to somebody probably within a mile of both of us. Mm. Right down the street. I mean, mm-hmm. it's literally always right down the street. Yeah. And or somebody listening crazy. right now. Someone they know for sure. Right. Oh. And then, like, what do you do when you know what's going on? And hopefully we'll get into that, too. Yeah. Um, at least some, yeah. some ideas. Yes. So so he dangles this stuff. I go for it. He protects me. And then within a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, I'm not really sure, he sits down across from me, and I will never forget this day. He was sitting across from me, and I watched him go from the light to the dark. His eyes, I, I think it was very literal, were from the light to the dark, from I've got you to you now owe me, and you need to do these things to pay me back. And I knew that if I didn't, that bad things was going to happen to me for a couple of reasons. One, he's a bad dude. And I knew he was, I've watched him for the last few weeks and he wasn't bad to me at those times. So I saw him with other people. Mm. And the second thing is I'm stuck. I'm up here with nobody with nothing. I'm already like, I'm breaking the law. I'm doing drugs. Mm -hmm. So I can't go to the police. And I was always raised not to go to the police anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like in this dark, isolated world which is exactly where he wants me because who am I going to follow around Mm -hmm. if I have nothing or nobody it's going to be him so he's instilling the fear in you because you know what he's capable of but he's got his arms around you to a point where you feel like you're being cared for as long as you stay on the right side and do all the right things so the power and control is being really played out at this point yes Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. and so he, he introduced me to this girl, and I don't know how old she was, but she was really young, so maybe 17 or 18, really young. And she's the one that actually introduced me to getting in and out of cars, like walking down the street, getting in and out of cars of people that want to buy sex. Mm-hmm. And I have never done this before, and I got if I want to be completely honest, there was a piece of me that was a little intrigued by it because it seemed outside looking in to be kind of an easy way to get money and get back. So it kind of was appealing, but it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. So she mm-hmm. taught me how to flag the right people, where to flag them to, and then how to actually manage that, like once I get in the car. Wow. But once you get in a car, like you are, you're in the car. So mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that can happen. You could be with someone that's not necessarily a terrible person, but they just have their own demons, maybe sexual fantasies, maybe they're alone, uh, maybe they just want to have an orgasm, whatever. Um, so not like evil and not necessarily unsafe, like I'm not physically unsafe, and emotionally different ballgame, but physically unsafe. Um, but then we could get into a car and we get into a car of someone that actually wants to buy rape and they are mm. the scariest, darkest people. It's like Ugh. You can tell that we're not human to them, that we are just a number, that we are property to them, that they get to do whatever they want. And some of them would pay and then do whatever they wanted. And then I'd go back to the trafficker and he'd be somewhat satisfied and I wouldn't have to take another beating. Or they would not pay. So I'm getting 
completely controlled and dominated. Then they don't pay. And then I go back to the trafficker and don't have the right amount of money. And what oh the trafficker gosh, says Vanessa. is that you <gasps> oh. are hiding this money. That's what my trafficker oh. would always say. Is you're hiding this money. You're hiding money from me. Wow. And so he would do things like pull me out in the middle of town street in the middle of the day. And he would shred my clothes right in the middle of the street in oh. front of everybody oh. just to make me more of nothing. He says he's looking for money and he would just open his hand and he'd just smack me across the face over and over again, like light me up. And I would just be trembling, terrified. And people would walk by, people would drive by and nobody would come to help. Mm. And it was like, it just would embed in me. Like, why would they come and help? Like I'm nothing already. It just like confirmed the nothingness that I am. Yeah. And so that those were like the reasons that I would just look at God, like for real, yeah. we're going to do this. Like I can't, I can't even be with you right now. Mm. And, um, and then I would go into somebody's house and I would steal a curtain to wrap around my body until I found somebody on the street, usually another woman that was walking the streets that would give me some clothes to put on my body. Wow. And it's just so dark, you know? What age? Go, so that's early 20s, um, maybe like 21, mm. something like that. At yeah. that point. Mm-hmm. And that happened for a few years. I don't, I, I honestly really don't know mm-hmm. exactly how many years. And it was just so crazy. Like it, if you were to ask me what day it was, I would have no clue. Mm. If you were to ask me what side of town, there was often times that I wouldn't be able to tell you what side of town I was on. When I was in the bottoms, I always knew that. But then on my second trafficker, we would go out to suburbs. We'd go all around the city and I would have no clue where I was at. Mm. And uh, the sun would go up and it would go down. It would go up and it would go down. And I would just be like in this crazy confusion state of mind and body. And that's, so easy to control, mm. you know, like they, they, this is exactly where they want us yeah. to be. And so, they have, so what was, so that you said from your recollection went on for a few years. So what was finally the bottom falling out even more so to be your breaking point of launching you into getting help and, and, you know, just that transformation because that can only go on for so long because you're either going to die um, or you (laughs) turn it around. Right, right. So I never left on purpose. I never really, I never knew I was being trafficked. I never knew that the abuse wasn't okay. I never left on purpose. I went to jail and catch court found me and they said, we think we have a solution for the problem that you have. And I was so dead inside and I hadn't laughed or cried in years. And I was just so broken. I'd already had a kid at this point and I did, could not do right by him. And my mom took custody of him, rightfully so, like I said. And um, so I was just at this point where it was like intervention happened, like just at the right time. Mm. Had it been any earlier or later, I don't know that I would have just been broken enough to do it. Like Mm. I literally was just like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's better than where I was. Let's go. Mm. So I go into this program, catch court program. And, um, and they started to piece me together little by little. And I didn't trust anybody. This was back in 2009 when it first started. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have the reputation that they have today. They were brand new. And so I didn't trust the judge. I didn't trust staff. Mm -hmm. And uh, really, the judge was basically your option to not go to to jail, but to go through a very intense program to get yourself sober and right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I had felonies down in Athens County and I hadn't dealt with those because I was out up here doing crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Judge Herbert actually called my judge down there and was like, we have a program that we think will work for this um, young lady. Would you be willing to put her five-year sentence on hold until she completes it and then you can decide what to do? Mm-hmm. And he says, nope, I'm sending her to prison. So judge gets off the phone, calls him back within the next few days. And then finally, that judge down there was like, yes, you guys go ahead and keep her. And if she messes up, she's doing five years. No uh, parole. Wow. So, or no, um, 
No judicial. That's what I was trying to say. Wow, no judicial. Vanessa, yeah. yeah. And I know. Like, I would not be speaking with you today if no. the five years, like, would have happened, you know? Because mm. I wouldn't have had any healing. I wouldn't have had counseling. I wouldn't have been able, you know, like, who yeah. knows where we've gone. But I don't believe I'd be <laughs> here. Right. And so... And so finally that judge said yes. And so I start the catch court program and it wasn't the judge or the staff that convinced me that it was a good idea. It was like the nine women that was in the program at that mm. point. And I don't know if it was nine, it was just a few of them sitting out there. Um, and they were saying, no, we understand why you want to go back to your trafficker, mm. which they would say boyfriend. They, we didn't really say trafficker yet, but um, same idea. Like we, yeah. we know, we just want to talk about it with you. We'll get through it together. Things like that. Like they walked the same streets that I walked and they were the ones that really hooked me. I was like, okay, like I knew yeah. a couple of them from out there. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe this could possibly work for me, you know? Yeah. And there's so, so much power in just other survivor oh, voices saying you. like, we get it. We've been there. And, and yeah. Mary and I have been sitting in that court session when things were going down yeah. for the current girls and they were not having it. <laughs> and I remember you speaking up. And you saying, you know, listen, I understand why you're feeling this way, but look at it from this perspective. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, Vanessa gets it, you know, because she's walked in our shoes. There's so much power in that community. It is such a, like a, an overwhelming honor and just, I can't believe that that's where I sit, you know, like that I get to be in catch court every week and, yeah. And to watch them women change right in front of me and to become whole again. Like, there's nothing like it. It Because you've been through it. Yeah, and you're on the other side now. That's power. So you're going through the very beginning of your program then, going through. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So then how does um, that go for you? I think one of the things that was really helpful to me was to start working on the trauma stuff. And I didn't give everything. I'm not that type of person where you get, I, w- I had to go through every core belief I had just to spit a few words out, you know? <laughs> and um, so when I started to, to share some of that stuff in a confidential setting and they were like, this makes sense. Let's, this is how we can work on it. I did childhood therapy. I did like all kinds of crazy stuff. I, I felt like I was losing my mind, but apparently it was just the way the healing works. And I felt like, I was angry and depressed and angry and depressed for like yeah. six months straight. There was no like happy medium. Mm. <laughs> it was just anger. It's All I knew like you had was to go anger. backwards to go forwards. Yes. Yeah. It's like they yeah. say, like your house gets cluttered before it gets cleaned or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's so true. When I'm trying to get rid of the stuff in my house, everything's cluttery and a mess. And then finally it's clean. I'm like, oh, it's so much better. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so glad so I went like, through that. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's so worth the hard work. Um, it's not pretty. I cried in nightmares. I like all kinds of stuff that was uncomfortable, um, sharing stuff I didn't think I would ever share, Mm -hmm. um, and then get to be free of it. And then I get to identify what in me, uh, is true and what's not true. Cause I had some really erroneous beliefs about myself that was embedded in me since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So when I think I'm a bad person, like I, I think that to the core, Mm -hmm. so to continuously, believe that that's not actually who I am, that that's just something that happened to me that I get to work through and be free of. And there's definitely some stuff that I did that should have never been done, but I got to make amends for that stuff and make it right to the best of my ability and the best that they could accept it. Uh, And then we get to be free of it. Not everybody that I made amends with accepted my amends and that broke my heart, but I still get to be free of it because I did it to the honest, like best 
of my ability. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's all I can do on my side, you know? And, um, yeah. and I would go, I would go to 12 steps meetings and things and, and they would say, trust God, clean house and help others. But I don't know if you remember this, but I hated God. So when I get into these rooms of people talking about trust God, I was like, what? Like, <laughs> not again, no thanks. And, uh, it took me some time to be able to, to realize that God's not at fault here. And he actually, when, when I had a gun stuck to my forehead and I felt the steel and I was completely calm inside, that is not my bravery. I am Mm. not that brave. But Mm. the guy in front of me was so unstable that had I budged, he probably would have accidentally pulled the trigger. And so I think those are the times when God had my back, even when I didn't ask him to be, Mm. to have my back. I didn't ask him to be there. Mm. And, uh, and I could, I could go over and over and over again. And the many times that I can look back and be like, Oh my gosh, I should not have walked out of there. Mm. I should not have woke up from the amount of dope that I used last night. I can, you know, over and over again. And so those walls, the walls of fear and resentment and hate had to be kind of broken down. It had to be completely broken down, actually. And then I started to see my higher power work in other people. Like I started to see people heal in front of me and they got to be happy again. Mm-hmm. I walk into a room of people who used to be desperate and dark and afraid and hateful. And now they're helping another person for no reason other than they need help. And things like that where I'm like, okay. And then I start to laugh again. Like, mm-hmm. I hadn't laughed in years. Aww. I didn't even know how to laugh. Like, it was just, I finally get to laugh again. And those are the moments where I'm like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then I would ride my bike. And I'm telling you, that's one of my connections to God all day. As I ride my bike and I just get, because it slows the world down. And I get to see beautiful things. And I get to feel good inside. And, and it's just like, it's amazing. And so now I try things like, slowing down, talking to God and actually listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the hard part is I have a lot to say <laughs> and I down long enough to actually hear what my higher power wants me to do for the day. So as I've been practicing that over the years, it actually works. I don't know if you guys know that, but it actually works. And it's like, I didn't, I had no idea what to do with this yesterday. I prayed about it. I hung tight for a little bit and now I have the answer. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do I have the answer? Because <laughs> I shut up for a minute <laughs> and listen to God. Like, that's the good stuff. That's the stuff I just didn't know would be possible. Well, it's and learning how staff. to get out of your own way. Because um, I'm yes. a talker like you, Vanessa. So I'm always like, I got an answer. I got a plan. I'm going to put it together and watch this. God would be really, 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 really good. But then when I'm like, hold up, like get in the backseat, sister, let him drive. Yes. Just let him control the path of the journey. I'm still going to mess it up. Yes. But it's so much better when he is dictating our next step. And when we're actually willing to slow down to allow him to do that. Yes, yes. And to try to trust, that's been, it's an on, that's like a practice thing. I, I hear people say we have to do today, like brand new. And so that's really good because I can get caught up in the untrusting things of the past. And so if I can just do today, then it's really, really easier for me to, to trust and to follow the directions, even if they don't seem to be the ones that I really yeah. want to follow. Um, it's, well, it's really cool when it. We do it. And whether it's even just looking at doing today, I'm literally looking at like the next minute with whatever problem is in yeah. my face and then, yeah. you know, it's triggering to me or, you know, me being an abuse survivor. Like I trust no one and that yeah. includes God. And I still, like you said, it's a decision every day that I have to step up and say, okay, 
Let me look at the past where you came through for me over and over again and you never once failed. You never once left me. And then today I choose to trust you because it is not a natural instinct for me to trust anybody, including yeah. God. And I think that's um, really powerful to be honest about that. Yeah. Because especially if you if you're an abuse survivor, like all three of us are. We couldn't trust anybody. The people right. that we should have trusted mm-hmm. are the ones that hurt us right. the Let most. Let us down. For and years. So you, like for years. Yeah. For our, all of our developmental years. So mm-hmm. so we're moving yeah, into exactly. adulthood and trying to figure out, well, how does that change now? You know, and that stuff just gets integrated into our relationships in our life. And so I think that that's a really amazing thing to even hear you say, Mary, just that that process that you go through because that's honesty and what does God want us to Mm -hmm. just blindly follow and say all the things that someone fed us to say about him or does he want a real relationship with us where Mm -hmm. we're saying okay God I don't trust you right now but I'm going to try and I'm going to remember what you did this time and this time and I'm Mm going to go off of that for now but I'm not saying I trust you forever I'm not saying you know all the perfect pretty things. I'm not no. making any promises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the relationship he wants because if he is the perfect father, he wants us to be honest and real. And sometimes that means anger too. And so a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, Vanessa, of like your journey with him, um, with your higher power, it's it kind of goes along with even just the initial parts of your healing journey where you said it was dark and it was angry and it was depressed and, and, but, but, but being willing to go there and not fake it till you make it, but like being honest and authentic about where you're at. I think that that's really cool. And it plays out even in our spiritual journeys. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's how I want to be in all areas of my life. And I want other people to be that way with me. I don't want you to come up to me and say, everything is fine. Like how, hi, how are you? I'm fine. Good. Blah, blah. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll smile. I'm yeah. like, that's, that's not a real relationship. No. So to speak to exactly what you said, like, that's not a real relationship. And I know God wants a real relationship. I believe that all the way through me. So mm-hmm. when it comes to me getting on my knees and saying like, what the heck happened today? Like, I absolutely will say that to God today, like, because I know he wants me to, mm-hmm. and I want that from him. And I want that from you guys. You know, exactly. if I screw up, please don't say, it's okay. You should, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. just tell me you guys screwed up. Yes. And like, let's say be honest. Cause that. I'm going like, to see right through it anyway, if you're just faking yes. it. So right. that's good. Right. That's good. So for those who are listening, Vanessa, what would you say to people who, you know, they're not able to look beneath the surface and lives around them. So let's say, you know, they have someone in their life who's gone through trauma, but they don't understand trauma response. So they're judging like their current actions or, you know, saying something like, you know, wow, she's, she's really acting immature. He's so disrespectful. I just, you know, I can't be around that. Like, what would you say to those kinds of people to how do you look? How do you look beneath the surface? First of all, I think it's just being aware. You know, a lot of Mm. people are carrying trauma and their responses in life are out of that trauma. But how do you help people to, you know, look for a real solution and be better in relationship with those who might be hard to get along with? Right. I love this question. It's actually one of my favorite topics. Um, I think it is it is fascinating to look at someone. And this is like a grown adult who is throwing a temper tantrum. Like that's red flag number one. Mm -hmm. It's like, why is this person emotionally seven? 
Like, why are they emotionally 13? Why are they acting like a teenager? Like, maybe there's some kind of trauma that's gone on there. It could be something else, but I think most often that it's trauma. I think everyone should become, even to the basic level of trauma-informed, I think we can get to better solutions in every area, court systems, work, relationships, all areas, if we know that this person in front of me is actually responding, is, is responding to something from the past that doesn't have anything to do with me, maybe I can actually help them through it. Maybe if I help them identify that maybe something is going on, then maybe they can get help for it. And that doesn't mean go right then and say, hey, let's go get help. It means let it settle down, talk to them later when they're calmer, and see if they're open to ideas. We can't force anything on anybody that would just push people away. But if we can let them know that we're a space, that they can come to for the uncomfortable stuff and we can be confidential if they need us to be. We can help them get resources if they want them. Mm. Uh, it's, we have to know what's going on. Nobody benefits if we're in the blind and we're just like offended by everything that happens to us. But instead to see them and see like, this isn't their normal reaction. This isn't a normal reaction. Maybe let's talk about it. And like parenting, like there are times when I'm triggered my son looks a lot like his dad, and his dad has been uh, not the most positive influence in my life. And so there are times when I'm already triggered, and then my son will come up, and he'll be acting 10 carat crazy. And I'm like, I don't realize that I'm, a, I'm like a simmering pot about to boil over. Like, I don't always notice that right away. Mm-hmm. Then he'll do something that is not that out of the ordinary, and I'll just boil over. And I'm like talking inappropriately. I'm saying things I shouldn't say to him. Like, I didn't even realize that I was already simmering. So if I can just identify that I'm already simmering, then I can go do some, I can ride my bike. I can take a minute to breathe. I can ask God, what's your directions? I don't know. Mm. And then don't have to accidentally take it out on people that, like my son should not have to deal with that, you know? Right. So just, I don't know. It's a lot of self-awareness and being willing to take a a step for self-care, really, on your part. Yeah. Well, what would you say to the, to other people who aren't, being understanding of your situation. Do you think it's up to the survivor to speak up and just say, hey, look, I'm a little crazy (laughs) because I hate that it's on it's on that person all the time. I wish that the general public or, you know, allies and supporters of survivors would be more understanding of that and that they could take an active role in saying what's really going on here rather than just being offended. Right, right. So you're saying somebody that already knows that the person is a survivor. Like yeah. not just a random. Yeah, or has so gone through something. Maybe they don't know we're a survivor. Yeah. Maybe they only know about the addiction. You know. Okay. Okay. Um, so what my boyfriend does, <laughs> he's been a, a great role in helping to get me grounded and creating enough space. Sometimes um, he like would offer me watermelon. <laughs> like I, as silly as that may sound. <laughs> It, it's a texture. It's a flavor. It, it gets all my senses into this place right here, right now. And I, like, he'll offer watermelon and he'll walk away. <laughs> and, like, wow. that is like, that's almost like code like, for y'all. I know. <laughs> like, like, Vanessa, get your shit together. Here's <laughs> some <laughs> <It's a> watermelon. <laughs> so it's like, uh, he recognizes that I'm going through stuff and I, he can tell probably by as quickly as I back away from him because those are steps like he'll walk in and I'll just accidentally kind of like venture away from him. I don't mm. mean to do it, but if I'm triggered and I'm not at a place to even recognize it or mm-hmm. to be able to talk about it, he'll recognize it. And then yeah. he'll give me that space like that for me. It's, if you don't give me space to be able to find a safe spot, I will mm-hmm. feel unsafe while you're trying to impede and I can't get with that. Yeah. And so 
so he's able to identify that now. And I think that took communication on both of us. Um, and I know that that might not be ideal, but that's what I think has worked best for us is like when I say, oh, gosh, OK, I'm actually triggered right now. I didn't really realize that I need a minute and him saying, OK, not saying, how can I fix it? What can I do? Maybe if I do this, maybe I do that. Sometimes I just need you to back up. And, and, and when it comes to intimacy, um, that's also really challenging. And, it, and there's a lot of times where I can't say stop or I don't want this right now or I'm not in a good place. And yeah. he has to just intuitively yeah. know that and just ask me, like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when I actually can identify that I'm not. Like, no, I'm actually not okay. I didn't really know that. Until and you it, brought it up. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't really know. I was just fighting through because that's what I've been doing my entire life is mm-hmm. fighting through. And so to not have to do that is still unusual for me. And I still want to fight through stuff instead of just stopping. Mm-hmm. And, um so I, I think uh, communication really is a big deal and help creating a space of non-judgment and just being like, I may not understand this, mm-hmm. but maybe if you, whatever you need, just let me know. Um, I'm here for you. Things like that. Mm-hmm. And honesty, transparency, uh, and do not betray me. Cause I, there's no coming back for that from <laughs> yeah, that. Like if he right. were to do something, like there's no coming back from it. And he knows that. So, and I made that very clear because then there's no excuses later. <laughs> Sure. Right. Yeah, it's all out there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And I think on your part, it's it's good to think about the fact that you had to have those hard conversations first for someone else, yeah. like your boyfriend, to be able to respond with what you needed. Like we have to, unfortunately, find our voice and express yeah. what's triggering or, you know, what yeah. are the non-negotiables for us, things like that. Mm-hmm. So. There, there, yeah, there's credibility on your part, too, to be able to bring that relationship to a healthy point. Mm-hmm. And I really think there, I mean, there are some good books about if your partner has been abused in the past, like there's books out there um, about that stuff. There's mm-hmm. counseling that could be done. And I think, I don't know, I think just being what, like able to kind of identify some cues as to like, wait, this is kind of. This might be something going on. It might be something going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, it just you, takes a lot of selfless.ness too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a, a parent, you know, how old is your son? Mm-hmm. He's eleven. Okay. What are He's some great. of the things that you have talked to him about when it comes to things like drug addiction, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. human trafficking? You know, yeah. these are things. My oldest is ten, and I talk to him about a lot. You know, he knows my story. Mm-hmm. He And it's created a lot of compassion for him, but I've noticed where he is so much farther educated than his peers. Mm. You know, they have no clue about things or they have clue about things, but it's the other side of it where they're just, they have no understanding of, you know, the abuse side or, you know, disrespecting women or things like that. I, or just of drug addiction. Like I haven't gotten real deep in that one. My son currently thinks Mm. that, the worst drug out there is cigarettes and he can't stand that. So <laughs> we're going to have to get a little bit deeper soon. But, you know, I, I think that as a survivor and an advocate, like I am, like Mary is like you are, we are educating our kids earlier than most people yeah. are. But knowing right. your story and the depth of it and, and how dark it got for you, I'm wondering how much yeah. you feel like you should go there with an 11 year old and what, like, what have you kind of talked to him about? So I want to make it clear that I don't know what's right or wrong. Sure. None of us do, right? We're doing the best we can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but my son has a lot of information uh, about a lot of things. Some of my, my happiest moments are when he comes to me and he's like, Mom, I, I see this, this woman over here on the street and I think she's being trafficked. Uh, <laughs> and then I go and look and I'm like, hmm, you might be right, you know. <laughs> and yeah. then he, he'll come He'll come home from school and he says, I don't know if I should tell you this. My friend told me not to talk about it, but his mom's being beat at home. Really? But he's, he's telling me this because he knows it's not okay and that it's important and that it's complicated. Like that's the parts that I, I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a drug addict and, and, and his dad is not a drug addict. He might have some issues, but he's not, he don't have the issues that I have. And my son will say things like, well, how do I know if I'm actually an alcoholic or not? Uh, you're an alcoholic, but my dad is not an alcoholic. Um, how do I know? And I'm like, well, you're just going to have to try. Um, <laughs> Because that's the that's the actual truth is that we won't really know until you try. I don't think I can keep him from trying if he's going to try it. I don't think scare tactics work, mm. and um, at least not in this uh, case. <laughs> it was my son. He's not. He doesn't work that way. Okay. And so I yeah. just tell him what what are some of the signs. And really, we talk about the health that alcohol has. Like it's not actually good for you. It's a depressant. It's bad for your liver. You know, we talk about those things mm-hmm. in hopes that that would be that like the more education side of the health side of it might be more of a deterrent than a scare tactic. Cause mm-hmm. I know how he thinks. Yeah. So, like every um, kid's different. You've got to kind of use different tactics with different children. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we talk about uh, human trafficking, um, we talk about like, he knows my story as well. He knows what rape is. He knows what consent is. Um, one day he said to me, wait, mom, what if I accidentally raped somebody? Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, what a great question. Mm. What a hard question that right. he was able to bring to me. Like that is, true. that is me is a really, I'm as uncomfortable as that conversation was. Yeah. Um, it was a great place, you know? So I just said, well, let's talk about what actual rape and consent is not mm-hmm. con- like forced consent, not manipulation, not, and we, so we talk about everything. And I also believe that if we're not doing it, YouTube's going to, exactly. and so yeah. I'm like, let's get it in, in the most honest, open way. Mm-hmm. And then he brings really difficult things to me. And I am so proud of him for that. Yes. Um, I am too. It was just, some of the things are just amazing. There was one day that he said, Mom, shouldn't I be talking to, I don't know if I should share this. Okay. Um, Mom, shouldn't I be talking to my dad about relationships, you know, about, about girlfriends? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you just have to look at your dad's relationships and you look at my relationships and you just see which one do you want the most. <laughs> he paused, he looked out the window for probably four long seconds and he looked back and he was like, oh, you for sure. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a win because... That has issues, you know, his relationships are difficult. And um, so I'm just trying to get him to see things and and go, you know, go for things that he really wants versus what society says you should have. Yeah. And and to think for himself, but to have, you know, you to kind of guide him in those thought processes and deep thinking and analyzing what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? Yeah, Yeah. I love that. I think you're doing a great, great job, Vanessa. That's amazing. Just one more thing that I, I really was proud of both of us for is yeah. I was sitting on the couch one day and he was trying to get me to change my mind about mm. a decision I had made. And he was standing over top of me, looking down at me, raising his voice and using a lot of arm motions. And I didn't realize in that moment I was triggered. And so I'm looking at him and I realize I'm like getting angry versus being like, like parenting, like let's parent. And like, I can shut that down in a second, but I forgot because I was triggered. And yeah. so 
And then it dawned on me, like, oh, I see why I'm triggered. It's because he's acting like an abuser. I kid you not, he's a 10-year-old boy at that time, and he was acting like an abuser. Now, was he, like, being an abuser? No, but his mannerisms and attitude was. So I said to him, Mm. Brandon, I just want you to know that the way you're acting right now is like an abuser. I said those words to him. Now, I wasn't sure if I should say that. But he sat down next to me with tears in his eyes, and he said, what? And I was like, I'm not saying you are. I think you're great. You're an amazing kid. I don't think you are an abuser, but those actions are like an abuser. And so, and I told him how, these mannerisms, he was like, I totally see what you're saying. I am so sorry. Mm. I'm so sorry. And so those are things like trying to raise him to be the, like recognize what you're doing. You don't get to change my mind. You're not my controller. Mm -hmm. You don't get to, you know, like, and I know some of this stuff is just what kids do, but I also don't, he has family members and bloodline of abuse. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to make sure that I'm nipping that in the butt as sure. quickly as possible. Well, I was going to say, I kind of forgot what your question was. So oh. I, hopefully I hit it. Yeah, no, I just, I just <laughs> think you're so funny. I just think that more communication with our kids is better than none. And sure, yeah, we're going to get it wrong, you know, in the way that our, we approach it sometimes may be hurtful or harmful. But in the long run, I think we're doing them so much more good. By talking it out, over communicating than under communicating and not not only for their protection as as potential victims to be groomed, but also, Mm. like you said, Mm -hmm. even as an abuser. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like they're going to get information from somewhere. And if if they when Brandon gets a, a girlfriend and he tells my family about it or they find out about it or whatever. They all say, oh, Brandon's got a girlfriend, like things like that. But he will never take anything to them of real substance because of that. So right. I don't do all that goofy stuff. I just am like, oh, you do. What do you like about this girl? And you know what he says to me? She's funny. She's smart. Mm. She's strong. She's not like, a, you know, she don't even know how funny she is. Like things mm. like that. Rarely does she does he say she's pretty. And, you yeah. know, which is great to me. Like I'm, I, I, hopefully she's pretty, whatever, doesn't matter. But his, his, he's going for characteristics, you know, like, yeah. and I'm, that's what I'm trying to embed in him. Is, wow. That's for sure. And he's seen that being modeled in his mom, you know, that strong character <laughs> and the courage and she's funny and all of those qualities that we want, you know, our sons to find in someone else. He's seeing it in you yeah. and then you're recovering your commitment to your health and your healing and mm-hmm. all of that. That I think speaks so loudly to to our boys and to our girls, too, um, yeah. of who we want them to become and who we want them to surround themselves with. Right. Yep, that's exactly right. Mm. That's awesome. Well, gosh, Vanessa, this has been just packed full of so much goodness and knowledge and truth. And (laughs) we're just incredibly proud of you and um, grateful to call you our friend. And are there any other topics that you want to make sure you address? You know, maybe just something you'd want to say to survivors who maybe are on their healing journey right now and and are in those dark spots where they're not sure it's going to get better, you know, or. Yes. Surround yourself if at all possible, with people that are empowering you and not holding you down and not saying negative things to you and try to get and start to do loving things to yourself. Like if you feel like swinging, go swing on the swings. If you want to walk on a curb, walk on a curb, like just things like that, that just honor your little girl inside or little boy inside and um, just, just keep going and never give up. And I think that, 
society is starting to wrap their arms around us. And so we want to try to let them do that um, until we can start wrapping our arms around someone else. And, um, and our past doesn't define us, you know, just keep on. I think your story really speaks to that, you know, where a lot of survivors feel held back in life. Like, you know, they're not qualified to do this or that. And I think your story, I mean, if you can share a little bit of that, how you went through that program that you mentioned um, as an alternative to going to prison, and now you're actually on staff there. Yeah. So it's definitely a place that I never planned on being. Years ago, I would have said I would never even do it because it goes against my core beliefs growing up, you know. And like working with a judge is not what, what I was right, thought. Right, working kid. in a courthouse um, like that for real. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. There are some family members, some friends that have nothing to do with me because of it, and I'm okay with that. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, so there yeah, were a absolutely. lot of risks for you to yeah, even move yeah. in, but probably even just internal. Yeah. You know, not believing in yourself. So you've really had to right. to tell yourself the truth that you know your purpose is great, <laughs> and things in your yeah. life don't have to hold you back. Any last yeah, words really- for, for people who might be, as a result of their trauma, mm-hmm. stuck in an abusive relationship? Oh, there, there are resources to help you with the needs that come with that. There, honestly, there aren't enough resources. Like housing tends to be an issue, but there are quite a few things out there now, and, there's, and they're getting more and more things out there. So to go find the places that have the resources um, and, and just try to utilize them. They can help safety planning. Um, even if you decide you don't decide to leave right now, um, they can give you a plan so that you can leave mm-hmm. at some point and have everything that you need to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, you aren't alone in this. You're not stupid. You're not incapable. There's just somebody that's got their foot on you and it needs to be removed, and we want to help you do that. So get to the places that have the resources. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Vanessa. This. This has been one of my favorite podcasts, and I'm excited to share you with all of our friends. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. This is just, again, one of the coolest honors. Like, I love it. Thank you so much. We'll keep doing what you're doing, and um, we've always got your back, sister. Awesome. Back at (laughs) you. All right. Have a great day. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.